Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Thanks for listening. Today is Saturday, March 24th, 2012. Tonight I have Sword Brethren with me. It had been a while since we did a program together, probably, I don't know, about six months, and, and he suggested that we do one, and he wanted to talk about bias in Wikipedia, and, and it kind of goes with the program I did with Mike Delaney at ProThink.org a couple of years ago, and a, a couple of weeks ago, I'm sorry, uh, on bias in the media in reporting black crime. And before I start, before we start, I, I'd like to um, say that four or five days ago, four immigrant blacks that they have foreign names i i guess that i i don't know the details yet but i gather that they're some sort of somali immigrants or something they're definitely not native born what with their that their appearance and their names four immigrant blacks had robbed beaten stabbed and raped two white men in in um antioch tennessee and and i haven't heard anything of this at all, except for one email, one email that I received from, from a certain um, Christian identity teacher. And Bill, let's and, just and, be clear on that one detail. You said that the victims were men, and in addition to being robbed, they were also raped. Right, they were raped. Well, well, blacks are omnisexual beasts, right? I, I mean, I've always said that, and, and <laughs> that's exactly what they are. They'll have sex with anything. And, and um, yes, that they robbed stabbed and raped these two white men and also forced the two white men to perform sexual acts on each other as they as their um their atm cards were being their, their accounts were being drained it, it's pretty sickening but this is um this is what we all have to expect until white america wakes up to the fact that negroes are beasts and there's no way around it in their natural habitat, in their nat- you might be able to dress one up, just like putting lipstick on a proverbial pig, and and train them to act halfway decent in a white society. But as soon as they get numbers that are prominent enough to threaten white society, they resort to their natural state, which is animalistic. That's what they are. And every time it happens, every look at Detroit, look at Cleveland. It never fails to happen. Every time their numbers get large enough, they will bring the African jungle to wherever they are. And in this case, it's the streets of Tennessee. It's absolutely crazy. Funny you um, choose to mention Cleveland and Detroit, since historically those were some of the, um, I think they were in the top five for largest cities in the country in the 20s, and they were basically seen as cutting-edge, innovative, and they were the hope for the nation. They were the industrial epicenters, and progress was taking place in both of them. New inventions every every few weeks, and they had a place in Cleveland called Millionaire's Avenue where, where all the um, corporate lords were basically living, the, the Carnegie types. Well, well right, and, and, and they were thriving in industrious cities until they got this dumb idea that they were going to attract cheap Negro labor, and, and and in order to do that, they, they offered high welfare benefits and, and um, offered big tax breaks to certain companies to, to um, hire them. And, and 
it, 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 it was a lot of factors put together in, in order to affect it. But once they filled their cities with Negroes, well, well all the industry was forced to leave and, and the Negroes destroyed the cities. And, and that's the pattern everywhere. That, that's not the Detroit and Cleveland are not the exceptions. They are the rule. Camden, New Jersey, Fort Wayne, Indiana, there's a whole, um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, there's a whole long list of cities, Baltimore, that, that are right behind Detroit and Cleveland on the road to hell. Absolutely. And by um, 1930, there were almost a million people in Cleveland. Today, it's less than 400,000. And, and they could hardly be called people. Okay, well, tonight we're going to talk with, uh, about bias in, in Wikipedia, and, and it's absolutely incredible. Just about anything you search for on the Internet, and, and this is not a new topic. It, it's been covered by a couple of other websites, and that will come out in, in this discussion tonight. But, but um, just about anything that you search for on the Internet, Wikipedia is, is one of the first two or three um, search results, and, and usually it's on top. Uh, I mean, I put – that no matter what word I put in today, um, looking for articles that I suspected would be biased on, on Wikipedia for, for this program, and, and I didn't spend too long doing it. This is your program, right? Well, well um, no matter what word I put in, it, it seems that Wikipedia, whether it was Stalin or Tito or, or Oswald Mosley or Cornelius Codrono, I, I can spell it, but I can't say it. Well, the um, the Wikipedia entry for that person came right up at the top of the list. It's it's incredible, and that's the the, um, the first resort for research for all of our school children today. You enter Jewish Bolshevism, and it comes up as an anti-Semitic stereotype based on the claim that Jews have been the driving force behind Bolshevism. You enter gun control, and you, you get to wiki. And it's no exaggeration to say that around the world, probably several hundred million people rely on wiki as their go-to source for anything and everything. Well, well you know, it's funny that you, you raise the issue of Jewish Bolshevism and, and Wikipedia's claim that that's an anti-Semitic remark because it's based on a bad idea. Well, well I was reading the Oswald Mosley page, and, and I was just skimming most of it, but, but um, a few minutes before the program, Oswald Mosley is the most famous of the fascist sympathizers in Britain. He was a British fascist. He founded a party called the BUF, the British Union of Fascists. He was, he was interned during the war with his wife and, and a whole long list of other British fascists that they were locked up until at least 1943. And, and, um, and then they were put on house arrest after that. He was never really free until after the war. Well, well talking about the, the British Union of, of Fascists and, and the um, people who opposed them the most vocally, even and, and Wikipedia, even though it is extremely biased, and it's almost always biased, sometimes it's very candid. And, and sometimes, in, in, and, and I like to quote Wikipedia, when I don't expect it to agree with me, and it does. And, and that's when I like to quote it, right? And, and when, when it agrees with me surprisingly, and, and I'm surprised by it, and, and that's when I like to quote Wikipedia. Otherwise, I never quote it. And, and um, it, it says that the primary opponents to, to the British Union of Fascists and, and 
the, the people that, you, you know, opposed them at their meetings and tried to break them up were communist and Jewish groups. Hmm. Now, now the, 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 average, uh, the thinking man should read that and, and wonder, well, well, why are communist and, Jew, communist and Jewish groups opposing British fascists and, and not Tories or the Labour Party or, you know, or any of the mainstream parties? Well, it's, um, it's quite clear wherever you go in, in European history that fascism basically boils down to white people asserting their rights to, to run their own nations, and, and, and communism has always had a very high number, a very high percentage of the Jewish population and, and controlling it or being the active forces behind it, and, and an extremely high percentage of the Jewish populations of Europe have always been communist. So we've and seen it, the anarchists and communists who are supposedly anti-establishment, instead of venting their rage at the establishment party, conservative party, or the labor party, they go after a fringe party. Right. Because they can't have that party existing and preaching to the masses and spreading fascism, because that would mean the end of the Jewish paradise in Britain. Fascism is the novel concept that a nation should be run by the people in the nation and the white Christians in Italy should control, you know, Italy and they should have a right to their own property or the white Christians in Germany should get to run Germany as a white Christian German country and if you produce something, you have the right to it. And of course, that's that's the antithesis of the Jew, isn't it? Well, well, absolutely, and that's why the Jew loves to slander fascists and that's why the Jew slanders Christians as fascists, and that they make a dirty word out of fascism, which is really only a, um, a, a political philosophy. I was just looking at the article for white Latin Americans, and it looks like the um, self-described Marxist atheist moderator who I had to argue with for several weeks before he finally conceded to my edit has revised the edit. It reads... Most of the white Haitians are descendants of French settlers, although following the violence of the Haitian Revolution of 1791 to 1804, which resulted in San Domingo's independence as the Republic of Haiti, most surviving French whites left. And we had been arguing, and I said, no, they didn't leave. They were butchered during the revolution. And it looks like this um, self-described atheist Marxist moderator revised my edit, even though I had submitted documentation from the Library of Congress, congressional records, and Stoddard, but he dismissed Stoddard as a crackpot racist who has no basis being on Wiki. And I pointed out that Stoddard has a Ph.D. from Harvard, and he said that doesn't mean anything. Well, well, that's definitely bias, isn't it? I, I was looking at the um, – I'm not going to really talk about it yet, but I was looking at the Wikipedia article on pederasty, which is basically male-on-male child abuse. And um, the article on pederasty, it, it cites several openly homosexual or, or homosexual apologist sources for statements about ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And um, it, it's kind of, it, it's not really amenable to the presentation of a balanced article to cite pro-homosexual advocates in, in a discussion of pederasty. That, that is not 
that that does not meet Wikipedia's professed NPOV um, or neutral point of view philosophy, which they claim to have. They have anything but a neutral point of view, that they are absolutely biased. And, and I'll, I'll demonstrate that later in the article on pederasty, but I, I'll let you pick up the ball on, on, on some of your... Um, I know you, you want to make some comparisons on political figures tonight sure. and, and um, show the Wikipedia bias in the way they, that they portray various historical figures and, and political leaders. A cursory glance of some noteworthy and rather basic historical figures reveals that there is indeed a systematic bias in how various leaders are portrayed. If somebody's right-wing, they're a dictator. If they're left-wing, they're a visionary, a philosopher, a president, a politician. And I'll just re read off a few examples here. Joseph Stalin, born Yosef Zhugashvili, this is from Wikipedia, was the premier of the Soviet Union from 6 May 1941 to 5 March 1953. He was among the Bolshevik revolutionaries who brought about the October Revolution in Russia in 1917 and later held the position of General Secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union's Central Committee from 1922 until his death. In the first paragraph, they don't mention the word dictator at all. They talk about how he, uh, he was a theorist who had the idea of socialism in one country. Now, let's compare Stalin with um, Francisco Franco, was a Spanish general dictator and the leader of the Nationalist Military Rebellion in the Spanish Civil War and totalitarian head of state of Spain from October 1936 as a unified nation from 1939 onward until his death in November 1975. He came to power while recognizing the principles of the far-right phalange movement, although this was for propaganda reasons, as he belonged to no political party before becoming head of state. And I'd like to point out that the reason he belonged to no political party prior to the revolution or the civil war in Spain was because Spanish law prohibited generals or military officers from being involved politically and he wouldn't have violated that regulation. Obviously, when the Popular Front dropped their mask and revealed that they intended a Bolshevik government in Spain and a war broke out, there was no point in abiding by that regulation anymore. They make it seem like Franco was a self-serving opportunist who embraced the phalange movement simply because he decided it would help him consolidate and enhance his own power. Which now, absolutely look, was not the case. Absolutely, as we, we've demonstrated that in our Spain series. Now let's look at um, Fidel Alejandro Castro Ruiz, or more commonly known as Fidel Castro, is a Cuban revolutionary and politician, having held the positions of Prime Minister of Cuba from 1959 to 1976, and then President from 1976 to 2008. He also served as the first Secretary of the Communist Party of Cuba from the party's foundation in 1961 until 2011. Politically a Marxist-Leninist, under his administration the Republic of Cuba was converted into a one-party socialist state with industry and business being nationalized under state ownership and socialist reforms implemented in all areas of society. They do mention as a criticism though, that some people regard him as a dictator. That's further down the page, though. You'd have to scroll about two-thirds down to find that, that some people regard him as a dictator. And here's yeah, the you know, slow, slow down a minute. I'm looking at this page on okay. Stalin, right? I'm right. looking at the page on Joseph Stalin. And imagine this was Adolf Hitler, right? I mean, first, the word dictator is not used at all on the page in association with Joseph Stalin. 
It's only used once on a page in the text of the article in association with in association with Chiang Kai Shek. Mm. So Stalin is never called a dictator, even though Wikipedia quotes several books and, and all the way at the bottom in the bibliography, the titles of some of the books that are quoted and cited in the article, those have the word dictator in the title insinuating that Stalin was a dictator. But in the actual wiki article, he was never um, called a dictator. And, it, and he, Stalin he was the also, premier. He, he was a, a revolutionary and a statesman and a premier. He wasn't a dictator. He also claimed to establish a dictatorship of the proletariat, and a dictatorship is run by none other than a dictator. Well, well right. Right. And, and that was the... Um, right. That, that was... A, uh, it, it was kind of like, I, I don't know what the opposite of a euphemism would be. It would be a dysphemism in, in Greek, right? I, I don't know if that's a word yet. yet. You know, dictatorship of the proletariat, that, that sounds like, it sounds democratic. Uh, of You know, like the proletariat's going to be in control. And, and exactly the opposite was true, right? Absolutely. Well, well um, what, what's interesting about the Stalin page is the description of the purge. And, and I'd like to read it. Now, now, this is in um, the second, it, it's in the last sentence of the second paragraph in the article, right? The initial upheaval in the agricultural sector disrupted food production in the early 1930s and contributed to the catastrophic Soviet famine. Well, well that killed about 20 million people, right? And, and they, just, they just make it sound like an, an initial upheaval in the agricultural sector sector. It was a little more than that. It was a planned starvation of the Ukrainian people, right? Did they make it well, sound well, like it just didn't rain enough for a couple months? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> right, exactly. It, it goes on to say, um, in 1937 and 38, a campaign against alleged enemies of the Stalinist regime culminated in the Great Purge. Now, now it does say alleged enemies, which is kind of to their credit, right? And it goes on to say, a period of mass repression in which Hundreds of thousands of people were executed. Now, now, that's a fair statement, including Red Army leaders convicted of participating in plots to overthrow the Soviet government. But, but it doesn't say how they were convicted. It doesn't say anything about kangaroo courts. It, it doesn't say anything about a one-sided justice system where, where you could enter any plea as long as it's um, guilty, right? I, I mean, it's crazy. It, it's it's. It, it almost got fair, and, and then it went off in, in the left field, I think. And I think saying hundreds of thousands, that's a low estimate. And they should have mentioned that they were convicted in one-sided tribunals where they weren't allowed to speak in their own defense or see the, the um, evidence or witnesses against them, let alone cross-examine the witnesses. There was no due process. Well, well none whatsoever. That, that's, they were kangaroo courts. Uh, I mean, no doubt. Oh, and I was about to get in the Mao, but before I do that, I want to mention here about what they say about Castro. They concede, Castro is a controversial and highly divisive world figure, being lauded as a champion, champion of anti-imperialism, humanitarianism, socialism, and environmentalism by his supporters. So, so, so basically, they're saying that he's, um, he's criticized, but for all, the good, all good reasons. Yeah, they're basically trying to portray him as a bad guy for all good reasons, right? So the only that, people who don't like him are fascists and people who want to pollute. And, and imperialists, right. 
But his critics have accused him of being a dictator whose authoritarian administration has overseen multiple human rights abuses both at home and abroad. They don't say who his supporters are, though. His supporters are people like Robert Mugabe and Hugo Chavez. Other dictators. Well, well, absolutely. They pat each other on the back and, and Wikipedia is right in bed with them, it seems to me. <laughs> I mean, if Stalin were still around, I'm sure he would give Castro the Stalin Peace Prize and Castro would give him the Castro Peace Prize or whatever the, the Cuban equivalent is. Because they actually did have a Stalin Peace Prize in the Soviet Union, which we, we may have to get into later when we talk about Paul Robeson. But they, they mention his critics but they don't say who these people are. And I would contend that his critics are probably 95% of the world and a large part of his own people, since any Cuban that can manage to do so flees to Florida, don't they? Right. Now, now there are some of the negative aspects of the Stalin years are, are listed in the Wikipedia article, but, but they're, they're not. They're, they're, you have to read far down into the article to find them. The, the Ukrainian famine... And, and the numbers are, are um, underestimated, and, and it's the, the descriptions are kind of um, sanitized to a degree, and, and the, the numbers of deaths I believe are heavily underestimated. That they're saying current estimates of the total number of casualties within Soviet Ukraine range mostly from 2.2 million to 4 to 5 million, and, and the, I've seen estimates up to 60 million, which, which might be a little high. But I think that in, in the sources I've generally read, the accepted figures range to 20 million. Absolutely. I would say that's a, a reasonable estimate. In, in the Holodomor. And, and they actually use that word Holodomor, which is, which is, and they say that it's sometimes referred to as the Ukraine genocide, implying it was engineered by the Soviet government. As if, yeah, well, that that's a biased statement. That that's not a a. Um, I don't think that that's a a neutral point of view at all. A lot of their language does not seem to be from a neutral point of view. Well, also, I'd like to point out that Lazar Kagonovich, who was born in the Ukraine helped orchestrate the famine by using the NKVD to confiscate food from farmers. That was the main reason why there was a famine. This is on Conservapedia, a more reliable encyclopedia. And they cite a book, Stalin, the first in-depth biography based on explosive new documents from Russia's secret archives, page 582. And here's just a, a brief summary here. With the support of Stalin, Kagonovich was a member of the Politburo by 1930. He implemented the plans for collectivization and destruction of the Christian religion in Ukraine by confiscating food from peasants. This caused a devastating famine in which between 7 and 13 million people died. This famine became known as the Holodomor, the Soviet government covered up the tragedy by falsifying census statistics and forbidding any mention in the press. In December 1931, he ordered the Cathedral of Christ the Savior to be destroyed. In fact, from what I've read, he actually pushed the plunger down for the, um, the dynamite detonator to engage in the physical destruction. He was there, and he, he's the one who pushed the button for, the, for all intents and purposes. This cathedral was a great symbol of Russian Christianity, he was also involved in the Great Purges, which ended all opposition to Stalin. Although ultimately, 
Kogonovich did not live to see the fall of the Soviet Union. That's my only regret, that he died in July of 91 instead of making it till August or September. But, I mean, he was one of the only old Bolsheviks that stuck around for a long time. Stalin pretty much killed all the others. Yeah, you know, there's all kinds of, of talk even in, in the Wikipedia article. And, and and they seem to be to want to apologize for, for Stalin, where they say that Stalin's role in the fortunes of the Russian Orthodox Church is complex. Hmm. And I don't know what the hell they mean by that. What's and, complex and, about it? He tried to destroy well, well, the church. Right. Exactly. Continuous persecution in the 1930s resulted in its near extinction as a public institution. By 1939, active parishes numbered in the low hundreds. Many churches had been leveled, and tens of thousands of priests, monks, and nuns were persecuted and killed. Now, 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 now these admissions, basically Wikipedia would lose credibility if they didn't make these admissions. But they're not putting the blame on Stalin. Because he's not a dictator. He's not a dictator. I guess he's the leader of some great communist democracy or something. So I mean, they had elections, right? The bureaucrats are the ones <laughs> doing this on their sarcastic. own. Well, well, right. I guess I, I don't. Yeah, you know, it's like they're apologizing for Stalin. That now, there's nothing in here about the closing of uh, of um, synagogues. It, it says at the bottom. It says. Baptist, Islam, Buddhism, Judaism, etc., underwent ordeals similar to the Orthodox churches in other parts, in other parts of the Soviet Union. Hmm. Well, can Thousands. I name one synagogue that was destroyed? Because I've actually seen pictures of numerous cathedrals, like Christ the Savior, being dynamited. Right. No, no they don't go into details on the synagogues and, and the Buddhist temples and, and the um, other sacred monuments. Uh, I've anti-Semitism was against the law in Stalin's Russia, mm-hmm. and, and there's mu- much information available, easily available on the internet, readily available on the internet, pertaining to that. It was a capital offense, if I'm not mistaken. Well, well, yes, anti-Semitism was a capital offense in Stalin's Russia, and in, in the USSR. So Wikis just can't, can't, they just can't come right out and do a, a complete whitewash and start, you know, doing some Stalinist photoshopping of people out of pictures and just removing facts from their page, or else they'd lose all credibility. So they're just well, well, right. They can't that, lose all credibility, but they tone. What well, when 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 we read about um, right right um, leaders on the right side of the political spectrum, they're dictators, they're tyrants, that they're. Um, that they're despots, that they're they're authoritarian, and, and similar terms are never or, or rarely used about people on the left side of, of the political spectrum. Here we have um, Be- Bella Khan is called a, a statesman. He, he's um, a statesman. He was a revolutionary and a murderer. He, he was a Bolshevik revolutionary who led the Hungarian. Soviet Republic in 1919. He, he's never called a murderer, and and uh, there were very few negative words about him, if any, on this Wikipedia page. 
I wonder if they mentioned that Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht were Marxist organizers who incited revolution and murder. I think the the worst um, thing it says about him here is that he was accused of Trotskyism, right? Mm. <laughs> what is that an offense now, according to Wikipedia? And, and if then, I'm not mistaken, Wikipedia considers Trotsky a visionary and a philosopher. Joseph Braz Tito, who, who probably um, destroyed the lives of at least half a million Germans in 1945, ha- half a million of the Danube Swabians, it, he um, and, and how many other murders to his credit, he's called a, um, a Yugoslav revolutionary and a statesman. Well, what, what makes him a statesman? I would think Biz, Otto von Bismarck was a statesman. What makes Joseph Braz Tito a statesman? Well, well some, there's a parallel with Bella Kun and with Joseph Tito in that they both fought for the Austro-Hungarian side during World War I. They were both taken prisoners of war. They both went to Ural Mountain work camps. They both turned to communism in, in their captivity, and they both came back to Eastern Europe to become the leaders of their respective countries, of, of the communist movements and the communist governments in their respective countries. So were they breaking rocks in Siberia, or were they being trained by the Cheka? Well, well right, exactly. That's my point, that, they, um, that there's some interesting parallels there. And, and they, they, it seems that they may have been, that they were, well, Balakan is definitely a Jew, and surprisingly, Wikipedia describes him as a Jew, but they describe him as a lapsed Jew, and they describe his mother as a lapsed Protestant. Mm. So, so his father must have been an ethnic Jew. Oh, but, and the but, uh, occupation listed for Tito, they list him as a machinist, a revolutionary, a resistance commander, and a statesman, religion, atheist, formerly Roman Catholic. If he were a Serb, though, it would be rather uncommon for a Serb to be a Roman Catholic, wouldn't it? Most Serbs are Serbian Orthodox, the Croatians are the Catholics. Was he an ethnic Serb? Uh, they're claiming, they're claiming he was a Serb. Well, they say his father was a Croat and his mother was a Slovene. I'd heard them, I've heard claims from some people on the left, though, that he was a Serb. And the Serbs, a lot of them, they'll swear up and down that he's a crypto. They say he's a crypto Jew. Well, maybe they mean he's a crypto-Catholic. They were Yarmulkes too, right? No, I'm kidding. Okay, what else do you have for us tonight? Let's move on to Chairman Mao. All right, Chairman Mao. Wikipedia describes Mao. Let me find it here. They say, commonly referred to as Chairman Mao was a Chinese communist revolutionary, guerrilla warfare strategist, Marxist political philosopher, and leader of the Chinese Revolution. He was the architect and founding father of the People's Republic of China from its establishment in 1949 and held control over the nation until his death in 1976. His theoretical contribution to Marxism-Leninism, along with his military strategies and brand of policies, are collectively known as Maoism. And they don't mention that he was growing opium and selling it, having his agents sell it in areas that were under control of his rivals back in his revolutionary days, even though he himself used anti-opium rhetoric to gain support. They also don't mention the fact that when he was in his 60s, 
he would invite 16-year-old girls into his bedchamber so they could make him a cup of tea. It's interesting that they don't mention any of these things about the great helmsman. Although they do say that Mao remains a controversial figure to this day with a contentious legacy that is subject to continuing revision and fierce debate. Nationwide political campaigns led by Mao, such as the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution, are often considered catastrophic failures. Although, uh, this is an aside here, I'm wondering, a failure from whose perspective? If Mao's goal was to liquidate 60 million of his enemies, then the campaign succeeded, didn't it? And, and that, is that mentioned on this page at all? It says, although Mao encouraged population growth and China's population almost doubled during the period of his leadership from around 550 million to 900 million, his rule from 1949 to 1976 is believed to have caused the deaths of 40 to 70 million people. Severe starvation during the Great Chinese Famine, mass suicide as a result of the three anti and five anti campaigns, and political persecutions during both the anti-rightist movement purges and the struggle sessions all resulted from these programs. His campaigns and their varying disastrous consequences are further blamed for damaging Chinese culture and society as historical relics were destroyed and religious sites were ransacked. While Mao's stated goals of combating bureaucracy, encouraging popular participation, and stressing Chinese self-reliance are generally seen as laudable, and the rapid industrialization that began during Mao's reign is credited for laying a foundation for China's development in the late 20th century, the harsh methods he used to pursue them, including torture and executions, have been widely rebuked as being ruthless and self-defeating. Because of his enormous impact, Mao is regarded as one of the most important figures in modern world history. It was named one of the 100 most influential people of the 20th century by Time magazine. They said that his supporters consider him a, a great theorist, a statesman, a poet, and a visionary. <laughs> that, that's funny. You, you know, Joseph Tito is probably one, one of the... Um, he, he's probably... If you want to, if you want to accuse Adolf Hitler of ethnic cleansing for for wanting to remove the Jews from Germany, right? That then Tito is probably the second great ethnic cleanser of of 20th century Europe, right? Absolutely. Because he he did he ran out over over half a million of, of the um, the Danube Swabian Germans and, and deprived them of all of their property. And basically, if they didn't leave the country, they were killed. Oh, and I that's, want oh sorry, go on. Now, now Tito is called a um, he, he's called a popular public figure. He's called a statesman. He, he's called a revolutionary and a statesman, and, and he's drawn in a very positive light. That now Mao Zedong it, is called a um, the architect and founding father of the People's Republic of China. That's what he's called on a Wikipedia. He's called a Chinese communist revolutionary, guerrilla warfare strategist, Marxist political philosopher, and leader of the Chinese Revolution. This is glorious language, right? Oh, he was the architect. This is incredible. That now, I want to read the, the description of Cornelius well, can we do and, a, a, a quick pause before we get in that? Because I want to dis discuss something about Mao's personal life that Wiki totally ignores. He was married four times. He abandoned his first three wives, one after another. 
And it says here about one of his sons, it just says that he died at the age of four during the Chinese Civil War. What they don't mention is Mao abandoned the child and left him to starve to death. And what they also don't mention about another one of his sons, it says that Mao left the son to a younger brother in the care of one of the um, Red Guards and then went off to war and the son was never heard of again. Well, no, he left that kid to starve to death, too. I mean, several of his children were just literally left to starve to death during his, quote, Great March, or the Long March, whatever they called it, where Mao was actually carried, you know, on the sort of raised throne with a cushion that maybe a Roman nobleman would be carried on, you know, where there are poles and you have people carrying it. He was actually carried on this Long March by basically Red Guard servants. Ninety percent of his um, common soldiers, the enlisted grunts, died but he and his Politburo, they all survived this arduous march. And he, he was basically hailed as a, a great hero and a visionary. And, oh, destiny kept him alive so he could save the Chinese people. I just thought that that merited mentioning that he abandoned three of his wives and he abandoned numerous children, just let them starve to death. They don't mention that, though. He, he's a, a visionary and a statesman. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I would like to read the, the first paragraph from Wiki on, on Cornelius Cadreno, right? right. They, they, they say that Cadreno is a Romanian politician of the far right, the founder and charismatic leader of the Iron Guard or the Legion of the Archangel Michael, an ultranationalist and violently anti-Semitic organization active throughout most of the interwar period generally seen as the main variety of local fascism and noted for its mystical and Romanian Orthodox-inspired revolutionary message. It grew into an important actor on a Romanian political stage coming into conflict with the political establishment and the democratic forces, which were all communists, right? And, and often resorting to terrorism. It, it's um I, I don't know that the if you're on the right you don't get any play you're a tyrant you're, you're a terrorist you're you're a dictator you're, you're everything um, negative on Wikipedia and and if you're on the left there's very little that's negative said about you and, oh. and this Chiang Kai Shek established a personality cult apparently I just wanted to see what they had to say about Mao's main rival they mentioned that his portrait was hung over the gate of the Forbidden City before Mao's portrait was set up in its place when the communists liberated the city. Oh, they well, the did, could the communists possibly liberate anything? <laughs> Chiang Kai-shek also oversaw the White Terror. 140,000 Taiwanese were imprisoned or executed for their real or perceived opposition to the Kuomintang. Okay, so he's evil, and, and Mao Zedong <laughs> kills 75 million Chinese in a, in a planned famine, and he's not evil. <laughs> okay. I, I can't make this stuff up. Yeah, you know, I'm, reading, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for Bolshevism. If you put in Bolshevism in, in, Wikipedia, in Wikipedia, you end up at Bolshevik. Well, whether you, you know, they really don't have a Bolshevism page. You end up at Bolshevik, and, and there is really nothing negative here on on this um, Wikipedia page for, for Bolshevik. But uh, I don't see. I, I mean, I haven't read every word of the page, but there's really nothing negative here, and, and it's um, re really just a, a political, you know, an explanation of the political history of the Bolsheviks versus the Mensheviks and and the. Um, the, the communist 
Congresses and and how the Bolsheviks became the majority, or or yet you know the word means majority, and the Mensheviks were the minority, and and everything on this page is pretty innocuous, and and the Bolsheviks were responsible for um millions of deaths in 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 Bolshevized yeah you know in in the Russian Revolution, and Absolutely. and that that's very well documented. There were two official government reports on the Mein Kampf project at Christagenia that you helped to, you scanned out of Gerald Mosley's library, right? That the, the, um, the, the 19, yeah, yeah. Russia number one, the 1919 official British report. And then there's an official American report that was published in, in 1920 on the crimes of the Bolsheviks in the Bolshevik revolution that it, they were clearly conducted under the uh, species of the Bolshevik political party and, and the Bolshevik revolution. And, and this page on Bolshevism uh, at Wikipedia really doesn't say anything about them. And I tried to make a separate page or make the case for a separate page for Russia Number 1, a collection of reports on Bolshevism in Russia, the white paper, and they said that it wasn't a significant document and, and didn't deserve its own page. Wow. The revolution in Russia. No, that's not it. American Jews and the Bolshevik. I'm, I'm looking for the paper. Oh, here it is. Memorandum on certain aspects of the Bolshevist movement in Russia. A U.S. government report from 1919. This was a report that was addressed to Henry Cabot Lodge, who, who was a United States senator, the, the chairman of the Committee on Foreign Relations, October 27, 1919, it stated. And it was printed up at the U.S. government printing office, and it's a very significant document um, describing all of the crimes of the Bolsheviks as they they, they were um, witnessed by, by people acting in an official capacity in in one way or another. And and that there's nothing. Of, this report was never on the internet until you scanned it, and, and I posted it on the Mein Kampf site. I couldn't find this report anywhere on the internet. And it's just as important as Russia number one. And it's sort of where the reports in Russia number one are more personal. The reports here are a little more impersonal, right? And 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 um, it, it's an excellent counterpart to the Russia number one report, and just as important in documenting the crimes of the Bolsheviks. Yeah. And the, these yeah. reports are ignored by Wikipedia. The British government. I wanted to try and get a, a copy of that. You know, an actual archive copy, so I contacted the Home Office in Britain. They told me to contact the Foreign Office, who told me to contact Parliament, who told me to contact the Foreign Office, then told me to contact the Home Office, and at that point I, I got the message, it's not getting anywhere, nothing's going to happen. Of course not. All right, well, a bit more about communism in Asia. How do they um, define Kim Il-sung? He was a Korean communist politician who ruled North Korea, officially the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, from its establishment in 1948 until his death in 1994. He held the posts of prime minister and president. He was also the leader of the Workers' Party of Korea, titled as chairman and as general secretary. His tenure as leader of North Korea has often been described as autocratic, and he established an all-pervasive cult of personality. From the mid-1960s, he promoted his self-developed Chuche variant of communist national organization. In the Library of Congress country study on North Korea in 2009, he was described as one of the most intriguing figures of the 20th century, end quote. 
He outlived Joseph Stalin by four decades, Mao Zedong by two, and remained in power during the terms of office of six South Korean presidents, 10 U.S. presidents, and 21 Japanese prime ministers. Well, he, he just sounds like a, a nice political organizer who lived a real long time, doesn't he? They don't mention that his nation is basically one big gulag. I mean, that, that just gets casually omitted. <laughs> Absolutely. It's right, right. They draw the they, they that they paint these leftist dictators and these leftist tyrants in in very pretty terms, don't they? Absolutely, he's listed under categories: rebels, World War II resistance members, communist rulers, Marxist theorists, Korean revolutionaries, parents of national leaders, deified people, anti-revisionists, communist writers. He's not listed under tyrants dictators, totalitarians. They just he's he's just an intriguing figure. A general secretary, a prime minister. Now let's compare that with say, um how do they portray Augusto Pinochet? Was a Chilean army general and dictator who assumed power in a coup d'etat. He was the commander in chief of the Chilean army and president of the government junta of Chile from 1973 to 1981 and president of the republic from 1974 until transferring power to a democratically elected president in 1990. How come we we never see Kim Il-sung or Castro transferring power to a democratically elected anybody? How come they don't lead a government junta? How come? Why do they use they use these negative sounding terms only for right wing or perceived nationalist leaders, and never for the left? I want to get into a bit about Chile and the comparison between what Wiki says happened and what actually happened. And here's their article on Salvador Allende. He was a Chilean physician and politician who was generally considered the first democratically elected Marxist to become president of a country in Latin America. Allende's involvement in Chilean political life spanned a period of nearly 40 years. As a member of the Socialist Party, he was a senator, deputy, and cabinet minister. He unsuccessfully ran for the presidency in the 1952, 1958, and 1964 elections. In 1970, he won the presidency in a close three-way race formally elected by Congress as no candidate had gained a majority. Allende adopted the policy of nationalization of industries and collectivization. Amid strikes by the far right, patria y libertad, which would mean liberty and, and fatherland or liberty and country, in opposition under the Nixon administration, as well as by militant leftist opposition, which no, there wasn't, demonstrations were held for and against Allende's presidency. On September 11, 1973, the military, citing a call by the Chilean Congress to end his presidency, illegally staged a coup against Allende as the armed forces surrounded La Monedea, La Moneda Palace. Allende gave his last speech vowing not to resign and allegedly committed suicide thereafter. Afterwards, Chile was led by a military junta and then as a dictatorship by General Augusto Pinochet. And I, I just want to point out what really happened in this coup incident. First of all, Allende was elected in a very contested election that was marred by fraud and violence. He had party supporters that were trying to shut down Chile with general strikes. and the, It looks like the Congress basically did just cave in and they, they said he could form a government. He immediately began a nationalization campaign, nationalizing foreign-owned industry. He also began confiscating land from farmers. If you own more than a certain amount of land, you know, you own 30 acres, up oh, confiscated, it's going to be redistributed to the proletariat. 
He also began arming a party militia with weapons provided by the Soviets and the Cubans. He sent them out to shut down opposition newspapers, opposition radio, and they were beating up political opponents in the streets. The Chilean Supreme Court told him that you cannot do these things. It's against the Constitution of our Republic. You don't have these, these rights. You don't have the authority. And the Chilean Congress, I believe it was known as the um, Chamber of Deputies. I'm not certain on that, though. They told him that he, he, he was acting outside the bounds of the Constitution. At that point, Allende basically thumbed his nose at the Congress and at the Supreme Court and basically said that the revolution will not be stopped by your so-called Constitution. That, that's basically a paraphrase on how, on either what he said or how he acted. He certainly believed that because his actions proved it. And at that point, the Congress and the Supreme Court asked the military to remove him from power and uphold the Constitution. So Pinochet organized the coup, removed Allende from power, and then they had a plebiscite on whether or not you know this military emergency government should continue. It received overwhelming support. Pinochet continued the rule. And then eventually, I think it was 15 or 16 years later, they had another plebiscite and people wanted open elections. And Pinochet lost by, I think, a 2% margin. It was 52-48, and he just graciously stepped aside and went into private life. Now, you're never going to well, see well, a... right. And what he did was exactly what it's exactly what our military should do today, right? I mean, look at these laws that have passed with the Patriot Act and Obamacare. What well, we're headed down the Bolshevik road, and that's exactly what our military should do today. If they took and, the road seriously. Well, well, right. And they don't take their role seriously. They only want their paycheck and their six pack. And, and that, that's a shame, but that's the state of our republic. It, it seems to me like that's the function of a, and what happened in Chile is the function of a normal republic. It's what happens when you have a man who's a despot, who, who intends to use the office of president to infringe the rights of the Constitution and, and, and of, of the people and, and, and defeat the Constitution. That, that's what's supposed to happen. The Congress is supposed to ask the military to intervene and, and remove the tyrant fr from office. And after he that, restored the situation, after he restored the property to, the right, to its rightful owners, and after he got the country back on track and grew their economy in the 80s, he stepped aside peacefully in 1990. I mean, if anybody should be called a liberator instead of a dictator, he's the liberator. Mao's not a liberator. I'm sure if the people had taken a, a vote in 1967 and said, hey, Mao, we... we um, we took a little survey here, and 82% of us think you need to leave. Mao would just liquidate 82% of China. Well, well, right. All these Russian leaders that, that, that get democratically elected with only one candidate on the ballot, because that's all we're, we're allowed in communist nations, that, that's never pointed out by Wikipedia. And, and Mao Zedong was basically a tyrant and a dictator, and he's called everything glowing, and he's never labeled a tyrant or a dictator. Absolutely. It, Oh, Wiki says that Pinochet corruptly amassed a wealth of $28 million by embezzling money from the Chilean people. I would think if he was going to embezzle money, he would have taken more than $28 million. I mean, is it abnormal for a president to accumulate $28 million during a 15-year rule? Well, well, absolutely. Well, in America, I mean, the average congressman probably makes that much money in his first term. <laughs> No lie. Oh, I'd like to point out, too, when we mentioned elections, in Yugoslavia, Tito actually held elections with opposition candidates 
But if you wanted to vote for the opposition, you had to go in a separate special booth that was marked with that party designation. So if you wanted to vote for Tito, you just went in the regular booth, but the opposition booths were all off to the side, and the secret police were monitoring them. So the opposition candidates, they didn't get many votes. They still managed to get 10% of the vote, but those people were typically arrested shortly after voting. So here on on Wiki, we see genuine patriots like Pinochet vilified and referred to as dictators, where Kim Il-sung, Mao Zedong, Stalin, they're all revolutionaries, visionaries, and liberators. But if somebody asked them to step aside, they're, they're never going to. Stalin was in for, what, 40-some years. Kim Il-sung was a, a ruler for five decades or so. These people never go anywhere until they die. Oh, here, um, according to Conservapedia, they quote, they quote, the Loja title bomb, the chief ideologue and main organizer of the Communist Party in Chile, declared if a civil war comes, at least a million will die. Right, now, that's, that's typical Jewish agitation, right? Now, even in Chile, th- this guy is in Chile, he's the Communist Party ideologue, and his name is Veloja Teitelbaum. Is he a, a Spanish colonial? That doesn't sound too Spanish to me. <laughs> that, that's funny. I, I have this, um, I, I want to get into this pederasty thing for a minute, and, and right. maybe you, you could collect whatever notes on, on, on whatever else you want to speak about. That this, the, the Wikipedia bias it, is, goes far beyond the political realm. And and pederasty is um, a word used to describe the idea of a relation of an erotic relationship between a man and a boy. It's repulsive. It's disgusting. But you would never learn that reading the Wikipedia article on pederasty, and it's P-E-D-E-R-A-S-T-Y. If anybody. Well, once the, it, 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 Wikipedia has not to be confused with pedophilia. It's actually a euphemism for pedophilia. There's really no difference, except this is homosexual pedophilia. It, it's twice it, it's twice as wicked um, that, than a, a sexual deviancy that, than um, adult homosexuality, which is absolutely disgusting in itself. Well, well, pederasty. You know, I'm, I'm, I was reading this article the other day when we discussed that this, um, that this doing this program. I, I thought I'd look this up on Wikipedia. Well, when um, you had, I think maybe it was you that indicated that Wikipedia had nothing negative to say about pedophilia, and I think you have some notes in that regard, don't you? I was mentioning on um, the Wikipedia articles on bestiality. Bestiality, right? Yeah. Well, well, maybe we could talk about that next. But right. well, I, I'd like to. Um, say a couple of things about pederasty. Yeah, you know, it 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 was um it was a facet of ancient Greek society. Let's put it that way. How extensive it was is not really known, except that some of the poets seem to talk about it a lot more often than than other poets or historians did. And and it was mentioned by the historians, but you know this page in Wikipedia on pederasty, 
makes it sound like it was normal in, in um, ancient Greece, and, and it was considered normal behavior, and it certainly was not considered normal behavior. It happened, and, and to understand ancient Greek society, only then could you understand why it wasn't openly condemned. You know, ancient Greek society, these people were pagans. They did not have a, a Christian foundation to their society at all. And for that reason, because they did not have Christian moral values and Christian principles, their society was actually very libertarian. In, in other words, if, if you weren't harming me, who cares what you did? That's the way the ancient Greeks thought. And there was a lot of sexual deviancy in ancient Greece. It, it was not accepted that two grown men sh should um, have an, an erotic love affair. That happened to be unacceptable socially in ancient Greece, but it was never against any law. And it was, I don't want to say it was absolutely acceptable, because with a lot of Greeks it wasn't, except that their libertarianism precluded them from making laws against it. They had no laws governing homosexual relationships. It was just more so, or, or, or less socially unacceptable, I should say, for a man to have a boy as a lover. It was more socially unacceptable for a man to have a grown man as a lover. So, so men who had boys as lovers typically gave those lovers up at the sign of their beard growth. And men that shaved their beards in ancient Greece were seen as men who were inviting um, male homosexual relations. That they, they were seen as men who were trying to imitate women. And, and, and that, that can be documented right, right, from the, um, right from the Greek historians. That now, ancient, that this article on pederasty... No, on no, you're saying that the, the shaving issue, that's why that still holds true in some parts of Eastern Europe, I think in Serbia, where their, their, um, their priests, the Orthodox priests, won't shave. And for cultural reasons for a while, as recently as about 100 years ago, in general, the Serbs didn't shave because they thought if you were shaving, it was because you were trying to make yourself more attractive for a male lover. Well, well, right, and, and it was actually that it was actually seen as an invitation to to a male lover, right? That you were looking for one, right? Now, now this pederasty article actually says that most Greek men engaged in relations with both women and boys, and, oh. and that's a blanket statement, and the citation gives a reference to a book by a gentleman named J.K. Dover. And Dover is an open homosexual and a known homosexual apologist. He's an open homosexual apologist. Well, and I mean, most. Is, I mean, what, 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 what original sources does Dover cite? Well, well, right. I'm not going to obtain the Dover book to check it out. <laughs> However, it, there's no way that any um, subjective and, and any fair assessment of Greek society, there is no way that one could come to that conclusion. And, and I have a couple of, um, I have a couple of citations from Polybius, 
And, and I'm going to read them, and, and they're not too long. And Polybius is talking about Scipio. Now, now Polybius, I, I think Polybius, you know, it's been a while since I've actually read Polybius, but I'm pretty sure that he, he wrote in the late 3rd century B.C., if I had to take a guess, right? That's basically a guess. But I'm pretty sure he wrote in, in the late 3rd or, or the early, no, I'm sorry, the late 2nd century B.C. Now, now this is um, about the rise of, of Scipio to power. Scipio was the famous Roman general of, of the Carthaginian Wars. The first direction taken by Scipio's ambition to lead a virtuous life and, and this is describing life at Rome and Scipio's rise to power, right, as a general, was to attain a reputation for temperance and excel in this respect all the other young men of the same age. This is a high prize indeed and difficult to gain. But it was at this time easy to pursue at Rome owing to the vicious tendencies of most of the youth. Now Tacitus, a couple of hundred years later, had had, had Tacitus had actually described the decadence in Rome, and, and, and um, Tacitus actually disdained that decadence. He didn't like it all. He didn't like the sexual immorality at Rome at all. And Paul of Tarsus talks about the sexual immorality in Rome in, in Romans, in, in, in the first chapter of his epistle to the Romans. So, so back to Polybius. But it was at this time easy to pursue at Rome, owing to the vicious tendencies of most of the youths. For some of them had abandoned themselves to amours with boys. So young men and, and teenage boys, or, or less than teenage boys, and, and um, amorous relationships, right? And others to the society of courtesans or, or prostitutes, and many to the musical entertainments and banquets, and the extravagance they involved, having in the course of the war with Perseus been speedily infected by the Greek laxity in these respects, so great, in fact, was the incontinence. So Polybius is calling these things incontinent, right? That had broken out among the young men in such manners that they paid, that many paid a talent for a male favorite. They were paying a lot of money for male lovers. And many 300 drachmas for a jar of caviar. In, in other words, it had become an incontinent and lascivious society even by this time. This aroused the indignation of Cato, who once said in a public speech that it was the surest sign of deterioration in the Republic when pretty boys fetched more than fields and jars of caviar more than plowmen. It was just at the period we are treating of that this present tendency to extravagance declared itself, first of all, because they thought that now, after the fall of the Macedonian kingdom, their universal dominion was undisputed. So, so basically, Polybius is talking about the decadence of Rome, and, and he's talking about how, how it, it, it was abandonment. He, he calls it abandonment. He calls it extravagance. He calls it incontinence. And in um, book eight, talking about a, a homosexual relationship, he calls it lewdness. He calls it every kind of wickedness and lewdness. Uh, for Philip in general showed no favor to men of good repute who were careful of their property, but those he honored and promoted were spendthrifts who passed their time drinking and gambling. In consequence... He not only encouraged them in their vices, but made them 
past masters in every kind of wickedness and lewdness? Was there anything indeed disgraceful and shocking that they did not practice? And was there anything good and creditable that they did not leave undone? Some of them used to shave their bodies to make them smooth, although they were men, and others actually practiced lewdness with each other, though they were bearded. So, so he's talking about homosexual relationships, and he's calling it every kind of wickedness. And he's calling it anything indeed disgraceful and shocking. Yet, you know, he's talking about these things, and this is a very libertarian society, where basically men had a right to do anything they pleased as long as they weren't harming the property or, or life of another. And that's the way ancient Greece and ancient Rome were. And here Polybius is, is talking very negatively about homosexual relations. And if you read this Greek article on pederasty, you'll never find anything negative, and it's, it's portrayed as if it's perfectly normal and that it was accepted and that all Greek men did it. Well, something tells me that Polybius didn't do it. I mean, I just get that idea from reading his writing, right? Something tells me Polybius didn't engage in it. But that's, you know, that's one Greek writer. And, and I, you know, when I read all the classics that I read, I really didn't get into um, their opinions on homosexuality because I knew that they were libertarians and, and I knew that they were basically pagans and didn't have that Christian moral standing that we in our society have today. They just didn't have it. They had different morals and, and that they were very laissez-faire about other men's beds. They just now, were. On Wiki, they don't have any pictures with the pederasty article. I wish we could say the same thing about their bestiality article. Well, well, there are some pictures with the pederasty article. There's a couple of images of boys, but give me a minute, but because I want to talk. It, it gets even worse than what I, I mean. What I've just said was pretty mild, right? I, I want to talk about Wiki's pederasty article in, in the section they have on Christianity, because this is where it gets bad, and this is where it's definitely biased, right? And, and I'm going to quote it. Wikipedia says, the Old Testament book of Leviticus decrees death as punishment for a number of sexual improprieties, including carnal relations between men. However, few factions of Christianity interpret Levitical law as applying to contemporary society. Now, sadly, that's true. Sadly, it's true. However, it's what Wikipedia doesn't mention, and I have more to read, but it's what Wikipedia doesn't mention that's even more evil, right? And, and I'm going to read on. Within some early second century Christian communities, even speech about pederasty was suppressed. Conversation about deeds of wickedness is appropriately termed filthy, shameful speaking as talk about adultery and pederasty and the like, and was to be put to silence. Well, well in, in other words, they're trying to say, and, and I believe they're quoting Clement here, and um, yes, they're quoting Clement of Alexandria, but you know, the, the idea of putting something to silence in, in the ancient world wasn't that you weren't to talk about it, which is what Wikipedia is trying to insinuate here, right? It's that you shouldn't even think of doing it. 
That is the idea behind putting something to silence in the ancient world. That that's demonstrable in in one Corinthians chapter five, I believe it is, where Paul talks about um, a crime so horrible that it doesn't even have a name among the nations. Right, for a man to have his father's wife. In, in other words, even the non-Christian nations of of, of Europe at the time hadn't conceived of such a horrible crime that they they didn't partake in 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 um relations with one's father's wife and and that's the point Paul's trying to make there and and that's also the point that Clement is trying to make but but it's worse than that and, and I'm going to read on that this um article goes on to say that there are two pericopes. A pericope is a section of scripture, right? Found in two of the synoptic gospels, Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 7, which recount the same story in slightly different terms. The same basic story is found in each book, which recounts the healing of, and they have in quotes, a beloved slave. And then it says in parentheses, it is the translation that leads to the argument below. Alternatives are dear or valuable. According to T.W. Jennings, professor of biblical and constructive theology, that this guy needs to be constructed out of a job. At the extremely liberal Chicago Theological Seminary, this translation supports the inference that the centurion servant healed by Jesus was the centurion's beloved. In other words, he's trying to say that Christ healed the homosexual lover of the centurion. And, 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 and it goes on to say, and this narrative as Jesus' acceptance of and even collaboration in a pederastic relationship. And, and that is not countered in this Wikipedia article. It's left right there. And, and there's no, it, it just says countering this tradition, count, countering this is the traditional response which points out the high level of conjecture required by this argument and sees its conclusion as unwarranted and theologically untenable. Well, well that's not a, a proper counterpoint. And, and Wikipedia writes it as if they're trying to dismiss the counterpoint lightly. In, in other words, it, it, that they're, that they're basically inferring that the story as it's described here should stand. And the story as it's described here is disgusting because the, the Greeks used the word eros to, um, and, and the Wikipedia article got into that in the Greek section. They used the word eros to describe homosexual relations. Yet the word used to describe the servant is entimus, and entimus only means valuable. That's all it means, honored or valuable. And, and that by no means ever infers any kind of untoward sexual relationship. So, so they're trying to get away with promoting the idea that this could possibly describe a homosexual relationship and, and Jesus cured this man. And that's just a lie. It, it's a, it's a, it's a bold-faced lie because the servant was valued doesn't mean at all that there was any kind of untoward or, or homosexual relationship. Well, that just shows how lustful and disgusting these queers are. They can't conceive of a man valuing another man unless he's buggering him. Well, well right, exactly. 
and we all have friends that are valued and, and employees in the, in the corporate world that are valued. That doesn't mean they were sleeping with them. That's disgusting. But that is how the perverse homosexual mind thinks. And Wikipedia here is letting them get away with that. And it's basically promoting that. And, and it tries to claim that this it is, the, um, it, it, it is not a biased point of view. That this is the, the um, it, it's incredible. That now, what's even worse, right? Because that's all Wikipedia has to say uh, about Christianity and homosexuality. They don't say anything else, uh, okay? But in truth, Paul forbid homosexual relationships explicitly in his letters in the New Testament on two occasions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, and in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, Paul listed a list of things that were sinful and things that Christians were not to, to, to partake in or to put up with. And on both those occasions, he explicitly uses the term arsenokoites. Now, arsenokoites in Greek is coitus with males. So that okay. would mean when he said abusers of themselves with mankind. Well, well, right, and that Greek word is arsenokoites, and that describes only one thing, sexual relationships between men, period. That's all it describes. It doesn't, and it doesn't mean, it doesn't even mean men, it means males. So that would not only forbid sexual relationships between two grown men, it would also forbid a sexual relationship between a man and a boy because it's arsenokoites. Arseno only means male as opposed to female, right? There was actually a priest at the college I went to who was trying to argue that Paul was only condemning a relationship between two male prostitutes or a man that goes to a male prostitute or a man who assumes a... Um, a submissive, passive role, an unequal role in a relationship with another man, but that Paul would have been okay with a, a loving, mutually respectful relationship between two men. Well, well, right, but what Paul was forbidding was any sexual relationships between two males whatsoever. That's what Paul was forbidding, and that's what Leviticus forbids. A man who sleeps with another man shall die. And Their blood Paul be says, you, you know, Paul describes the Romans who engaged in homosexual male and female relationships, and, and he describes it very graphically in Romans chapter 1, and he doesn't use the term arsenokoites, but he describes males burning in their desires for one another. And, and he describes females who give up the natural use of the male and, and turns to other females, right? So, so he's definitely describing, beyond doubt, homosexual relationships, both male and female. And he goes on to say that those who do such things, and not only those who do such things, but also those who approve of them who do such things, are worthy of death. That's what he says, and it's very plain. Not only the homosexuals should die, under the law, and, and that's what he means. He, he's talking about the judgments of the laws of God, but those who approve of the homosexuals should also die. And, and that's Romans chapter 1. And, and that's the last line in, in Romans chapter 1, I believe. 
Romans 131, I think, or 132. That now, these things that Paul says are completely left out of the, um, the, the section on this Wikipedia page which talks about Christianity's attitudes towards pederasty. So, so there is no Christian argument against pederasty according to Wikipedia. Well, Paul and, wrote, who knowing, he, it's on verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Well, well, right, and, and it's basically, if you read my translation, you'll see that it says those approving of the people that do those things, right? You, you could see that meaning in, in the King James Version, but it's, the language is archaic. Well, well basically, that, that's the bias Wikipedia has, is that they're trying to um, even normalize disgusting filth from a Christian viewpoint. That there's no doubt. So if, if you're a Muslim looking at this, you're going to get the idea that Christianity is an insane, crazy religion, and it's best to blow yourself up to keep these people out of your country. <laughs> well, right. Exactly. But the problem with that is that Muslims engage in pederasty commonly. Is it a Muslim thing or mostly an Arab thing? Well, well, it's it's an Arab thing. It's a Turk thing. I I mean, it's a black thing. What kind of Muslims you want to talk about? Hmm. Good point. They they just don't like to to let Christians know that that they do such things. They, they but, have the facade of piety. Yes, it, it's a facade of piety, but pederasty is very common in in Arab and Turkic lands and and countries. And I've also read that in Lebanon, if a man had sex with a male animal, they kill him. But if it's a female animal, it's okay. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Shall we move on to bestiality? Well, well yeah, the ball's all yours. Well, first of all, Wiki talks about extent of occurrence. They cite the Kinsey report. And Kinsey claims that 8% of men and 3.6% of women at some point in their life will have sexual interaction with an animal, and those who live on or near farms, it's 40 to 50%. And they don't really support this claim, and we all know that Kinsey was just a crazy homosexual, and his work is straight-up garbage. Would you agree, Bill, the, the Kinsey report, we can just throw that right out the window because it's meaningless? Oh, it's absolutely meaningless. It, it, it wasn't his – I don't think he was a Jew – but his partner, the female partner, was a Jew, wasn't she? Then they get on to a, a woman, Nancy Friday, who was a feminist. She wrote My Secret Garden, and she said that of the um, 190 fantasies from different women, 23 involved zoophilic bestiality activity. She also wrote that women were very interested in rape, having sex with an, uh, with an audience present, having anonymous sex with someone they didn't know, being tortured, Let's see here, incestuous sex, sex with black men, sex with young boys, sex with other women, and working as a prostitute. And this woman's name is Nancy Friday. That's a very odd name. I've, I've never met anybody whose last name was the, um, yeah. the day well, of the well, week. People, people whose last names are, are after the days of the week or the months of the year, they're all suspect, right? And Nancy Friday, it says here that she was married to Bill Manville, and then she, her second husband was Norman Perlstein, the chief editor of Time Incorporated. He 
sounds like a, a good Christian man, doesn't he? Norman Perlstein. Well, well, he's yeah, yeah. He isn't he in, in the media or something? That that name is very familiar. Norman Perlstein. I think he was an editor. Okay. However, this, New York there Times, some, Wall Street Journal. I think Time Magazine. Time Magazine. Okay, I, I knew it was that. That name's very familiar. There are several people though that dispute whether or not the Kinsey report is entirely accurate. Martin Duberman and Paul Gebhard say that it, it can be difficult to get random samples in sexual research and that Kinsey's research successor removed prison samples from the figures and he found the figures had not significantly changed. By 1974, the farm population in the U.S. had declined by 80% compared to 1940, reducing the opportunity to live with animals. Hunt's 1974 study suggests that these demographic changes led to a significant change in reported occurrences of bestiality. The percentages of males who reported sexual interaction with animals in 1974 was 4.9%, in 1948, 8.3%, and females in 1974 was 1.9%, compared with... 3.6 in 1953. Maletsky believes this is not due to a reduction in interest, but merely a reduction in opportunity. And let's take a, a quick look at this Maletsky character. If I can find a, a wiki page on Mr. Maletsky, I would wager that Maletsky, let's see, okay, Hani Maletsky, a sexologist and sex therapist living in Bethesda, Maryland. She specializes as a trainer and supervisor in the field in sex addiction and also works with the criminal justice system. She was born in Israel, and according to her website, moved to the U.S. as part of the Israeli embassy staff. She studied at the Catholic University of America and gained her doctorate at the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. And now she believes that most people want to have sex with animals. They just don't have the opportunity to. She, shows, oh, she says that mother-son incest is more common than thought and that most mothers who commit incest are sane and that it's normal for mothers to want to have sex with their children. Wow, and, and she has a, a Ph.D. Wow, that's just lovely, and she went to a Catholic university. I'm sure she had some good priests as her teachers. Hmm. Now, what gets really interesting, the wiki articles, well, first of all, I want to talk about some of these paintings here. They have... um. Franz von Bayros depicting oral sex between a woman and a deer. I'm not going to describe it. It's vulgar. But they list him as an Austrian commercial artist and an illustrator who painted in the... Um, he, he was born in 1866 in Austria-Hungary, died in 1924. And they list him as an Austrian nobleman and a, um, an Austrian painter. I would say that he's probably, if he's a nobleman, he's certainly a Jew, or he just fabricated his nobility like Felix Dzerzhinsky did. But there, there's no way somebody who's painting in Austria-Hungary in the 1890s and is painting a deer licking a woman's genitalia, that guy has to be a straight-up Jew, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to, uh, I was actually trying to figure him out a few weeks, a few moments before you, uh, you brought him up, right? Now, let's see here. From the part on, oh, here we go, the debate over zoophilia or zoophilic relations. Arguments against. Platonic love for animals is usually viewed positively, but most people express concern or disapproval of sexual interest, sometimes very strongly. Criticisms come from a variety of sources, including religious, moral, ethical, psychological, medical, and social arguments. I think they should say almost all instead of most. In 
concerns or disapproval, I, I would say that bestiality is pretty well universally condemned. Wouldn't you tend to be on the same page in there, Bill? It's universally condemned for the most part. Well, well, it depends on what continent you're in, right? <laughs> I, I mean, if you're in the Congo, it, it's probably not really condemned. I but, suppose but if it, you're in and any civilized Western nation, it's probably close to being universally condemned. I, mean, I would assume if you're in Calspol, Montana, or you know, um, Charlotte, North Carolina, as opposed to Tel Aviv, you're going to find a lot more condemnation in the former rather than the latter. Right. Well, well, Tel Aviv is is being trumpeted now as the world's number one gay city. I wonder if that has any and any relationship to its having the most Jews. So the Humane Society of the United States has said that as animals don't have the same capacity for thinking as humans, they're unable to give full consent, although there are arguments against that and the um, arguments for zoophilia. Defenders of zoophilia argue that consent is irrelevant because human practices such as hunting, laboratory testing, and slaughtering animals for meat do not involve the consent of the animal. Maletsky believes that, quote, animals are capable of sexual consent and even initiation in their own way. It is not an uncommon practice for a dog to hump someone's leg or rub up against them. They also talk about how cats rub up against their owners. An animal that is liking being petted pushes against the hand and seems to enjoy it. She says that that's the animal's way of, you know, trying to initiate something more with the person and trying to let the person know, please bugger me. Utilitarian philosopher and animal liberation author Peter Singer argues that zoophilia is not unethical so long as it involves no harm or cruelty to the animal. Let's get a little background on Peter Albert David Singer, an Australian philosopher, and now he's a professor of bioethics at Princeton University and laureate professor at the Center for Applied Philosophy and Public Ethics at the University of Melbourne. He's an Austrian Jew whose family moved to Australia. According to Conservapedia, atheist philosopher Peter Singer defends the practice of bestiality as well as abortion, infanticide, and euthanasia. Despite holding these immoral views, the liberal pro-evolution academic has been um, given a reward by the establishment in that he is now a bioethics chair at Princeton University. That's rather interesting, and not to sidetrack, but a, a few weeks ago an article came out from, I think Peter Singer had something to do with it. It came out of Australia. Some bioethicists were arguing that there's no inherent right to life, and they were saying that this isn't merely an abortion debate anymore. It's an infanticide euthanasia that if parents don't like how the kid turns out, they should have a grace period of maybe several weeks or a month or so where they can just have the child injected with a, a lethal dose of drugs and put down so they can move on in life, and that the, the baby has no right to drain resources from the parents. Isn't that the um, what, what people were warning about 50 years ago when we stopped considering and uh, we, we, we used to consider it automatic, a given, that an unborn child was a human life, an unborn child. And when we argued, you know, or whoever was making the argument back then, this will lead to the slippery slope of euthanasia, they called the conservatives crazy. But here we are, right, Bill? I mean, here we are. They're trying to normalize infanticide now. Well, well absolutely. There's no doubt. And I, I've seen articles in, in support of that, and, and it's absolutely repulsive. It's disgusting. Of course, it's always... That the, the the Jews have learned to become very crafty incrementalists, mm-hmm. and pretty soon they'll be um, killing kids up to eighteen years old. Right? Uh, I mean, it's disgusting. And back to the bestiality argument. Uh, I, for, sorry, I personally like to perform about a hundred million post-birth abortions right now. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. 
Rosenberger, 1968, emphasizes that as far as Conolingus is concerned, dogs require no training. And even Deckers, 1994, and Menninger, 1951, admit that sometimes animals take the initiative and do so impulsively. Who are these people? They're supposedly doctors, sexologists, and experts, but with names Rosenberger, well, Deckers, Menninger. Well, we know who Menninger. sexologists are. There are no white Christian sexologists. One of them states that animals seem to enjoy the attention provided by sexual interaction with a human. Dr. Ruth, Dr. Laura, were, they, were any of them Christian? You, you won't find a, a, a white Christian sexologist Wait. that I've ever seen. Here's an opportunity for one. Jacob Apple has also advocated the decriminalization of bestiality, arguing that lack of consent is not a meaningful concept when discussing human-animal sex. He has written that society does not describe owning a pet dog as kidnapping, even when the canine is restricted to the inside of a home, although confining a human being in the same matter would clearly be unethical. According to Apple, such relations may well be neutral or even pleasurable for the animals concerned. So if they don't care about consent, if consent's not an issue, then they must be pro-rape, and ultimately they're going to want to legalize pederasty, aren't they? Well, well peder- the, the push to legalize pedophilia, which includes pederasty, is pedophilia, it's just a euphemism, mm-hmm. is, um, is already been on. Um, it, it's already been on. And oh. I, well, we're seeing many more prominent cases concerning pedophiles in, in the news more and more frequently, it's incredible. And I think the news is conditioning people to accept pedophiles. In, in the Netherlands, they even had a party called the Party for Neighborly Love, Freedom, and Diversity. Its main purpose was the abolition of the consent age. Although and, supposedly and the party no longer read, exists. That, that's NAMBLA's um, primary goal, is the abolition of all consent. Yeah, you know, ages of consent. Mm-hmm. That, that's their primary political goal. It, it says a lot. Why, why is NAMBLA allowed to exist? It, it's basically a conspiracy. That's one of the points I'm going to make in my next Saxon Messenger editorial, right? If you and I talk about robbing a bank, we will be arrested for conspiracy to rob a bank. Mm-hmm. And, and we will be tried and we will go to federal prison even though we don't actually do it. Well, NAMBLA is an entire organization conspiring to debauch little boys. Why aren't they all rounded up and put in prison for conspiracy to, to um, commit pedophilia? Oh, I found out who some of these experts are. Martin Baum Duberman, an American historian, playwright, and gay rights activist. He's a professor of history emeritus at Lehman College and the Graduate School of the City University of New York. He was the founder of the Center for Lesbian and Gay Studies at the CUNY Graduate School. Oh, it's City University of New York. I was going to say I hope that's an acronym for something, and that's not the word. He he claims to be a neo-abolitionist scholar advocating gay liberation. He's listed as having been involved with SNCC, CORE, the Students for a Democratic Society, Wiki lists him as an LGBT Jew, and he's also listed under the Paul Robeson category for some reason, which we're going to have to get what? to him in a, in a bit. And Jacob Apple was born in the Bronx and grew up in New York. He's listed as an American author, bioethicist, and social critic, and a playwright. His main occupation is bioethics. 
So how can he be a bioethicist if he favors abortion, assisted suicide? He also wants fertility treatment for homosexuals, legalized bestiality, polygamy, incest, prostitution, man, boy, love it. It seems that he's for basically everything. He also wants open borders immigration, although it looks like he's mainly talking about that in the U.S. I don't know if he has a stance on open borders immigration for Israel. Aren't all Jews LGBT or whatever those? I thought they all were. Well, if it moves, they'll they'll have sex with it, and they're they're not even they're not always that discriminating either, are they? No, they're not. And Conservapedia makes a great point when they talk about the the Wikipedia biases. They point out that no serious, legitimate encyclopedia would have a page devoted to bestiality, let alone a 7,000 to 10,000 word page complete with pictures. They it's should just... not have a page devoted to bestiality. They should not have a page devoted to pederasty. It's repulsive. It's disgusting. It it's violates the laws of all Western nations. And, and they simply should, shouldn't, that they shouldn't be um, writing so approvingly of those things, they use that they use that philosophy that they claim of of that you know non partial point of view that NPOV philosophy that 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 they um, profess to have. They use that in order to promote everything and anything that that's vile and disgusting. Absolutely. And I've read on Conservapedia something like 89% of the moderators on Wikipedia are self-described liberals, and at least half of them are also self-described atheists or Marxists or both. Well, I, w- I would say all Marxists well, well, are right. atheists. And, and, and the, the, the real sad part about Wikipedia is that, that they promote the use of um, anonymous IP numbers and, and anonymous accounts, and you don't really know who's writing these articles. But everything that's moral and, and every, every um, political leader who leans towards the right is basically denigrated with, with language that's seen to describe things that are wicked or unacceptable or evil or harsh or tyrannical. And, and the entire left is described in, in rather glowing terms, even, even if they're mass murderers of tens of millions of people. It's incredible. They're statesmen and leaders and rulers and, and and people on the right are tyrants and dictators and despots. It, it's they call themselves the free encyclopedia, an encyclopedia according to who though? It's a it's a Jewish encyclopedia. Well, well, basically that's exactly what it is. It's it's a it's a, an encyclopedia for Jews and aliens and every foul scumbag that ever made it to a computer terminal. Absolutely, Basically. it's it's the it's the world and its history as seen through the Jewish lens. Yes, it is. And and Christians, we we should avoid Wikipedia. We should totally avoid it. I, I mean, I want... I've quoted it. I've quoted it, but I've only quoted it where it's where surprisingly it it made some sort of um, rational confession or, or or profess something that that I was surprised that it would even mention. Right. But like one example is um, the, the, the page on Herod Archelaus at Wikipedia, which admits that he was the, um, the ruler of Judea, Samaria, and Edomia 
right? Which which kind of well, well, I don't need it to prove the history, but it's basically basically an admission that the Edomites were part of the kingdom of Judea, and, and that's you know a stark admission. And I'm surprised to see that. So I quote Wikipedia in to to show that because well, if they're admitting it, then it then then it's um then the historical evidence that I do have has to be given credence because that even forces Wikipedia to make that admission. Some, so some moderator I, in Tel Aviv's not getting his bonus because he let that one slip through. Yeah, right, basically. So sometimes the, their admissions can be stark and we can use them to our advantage, but I would not resort to Wikipedia as any authority on, on any topic because their articles are so biased and they're written anonymously and when when if I tried to correct that if I went and signed up for a Wikipedia account and I tried to correct that pederasty page, how long do you think that would last? Well, usually if if the the edits are undone within a minute or two, right? Well, right. There must be people sitting there watching articles, and and there's a, there's a um. There's a website called Wikipedia Bias, all one word, wikipediabias.com, and he doesn't have a whole lot up here. It looks like a pretty new site, and it's using a stock Drupal template. It's not even really put together yet, but, but um, and it's really not a new site. It's just a, a neglected site because some of the articles date to 2008. It, it looks like he threw some articles up here and... and um, lost interest in it or something because they're, they're very few and far between. Well, well, anyway, he has an article on Snopes that's okay that shows that Wikipedia favors Snopes and, and is biased in favor of Snopes.com and, and doesn't mention where Snopes.com has made some serious mistakes in the past and been caught doing it, right? Hmm. So, so that, that, you know, there's different people out there on the Internet, Conservapedia is only one of them, who are trying to expose Wikipedia bias, but um, there's no real juggernaut, yet, you know, except for Conservapedia. They're probably the biggest website in, 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 this, um, in this area. Well, here's one about Wikipedia, Wikipedia's co-founder, Jimmy Wales. He prominently listed two colleges he did not graduate from as alma maters, Sean Hannity attended but did not graduate New York University, but Wikipedia does not even list it as his alma mater because he's a conservative. That was just one thing I found on a, a reference sheet here from examples of bias in Wikipedia with how they treat conservatives. And this Jimmy Wales character, th- that would be like if your name were Bill Germany. This Jimmy Wales guy claims to be British, but he's also a self-avowed atheist, and he runs Wikipedia. I mean... Is 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 the name of a country or the name of a province? Is that a standard last name? No, no. I actually, I actually understood that he was a Jew, and, and I thought that was common knowledge. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought it was. I think he downplays it. And you mentioned sexology. The wiki page on sexology points out that Germany, prior to the rise of the Nazis, was the world leader in sexology until the Nazis destroyed the Institute of Sexology in Berlin and that sexology experienced a renaissance beginning in the U.S. due to a large influx of European refugees who fled the Nazi regime, and then they um, popularized the Kinsey Roof studies. Well, well, you know, I I forget if it's Wiebe or Goebbels, but one of them actually came came right out and said that the Jews in Germany invented 
that they they invented the the location of sexologists. It, it's um, it, it's well, yes. What was it, it in it, the um documentary, The Eternal Jew? They said that under the guise of scientific discourse and scientific study, they put forward perversion as normal and attempt to normalize perversion. Well, I think if you're a man that needs a sexologist, you don't really need a sexologist. You need a scalpel. <laughs> Here's a British sexologist, Havelock Ellis. He developed concepts such as autoeroticism, narcissism, he preferred the term inversion to homosexuality, thinking that homosexuality had a negative connotation. Havelock Ellis. This guy couldn't have been British. I'm just reading about these prominent sexologists. They talk about Sigmund Freud, Alfred Adler, Wilhelm Steckel, Wilhelm Reich, Otto Gross. Yeah, you know, I really wanted to find out that Kinsey was a Jew, and I looked all over, and I couldn't find out that he was anything but a Protestant. So, so if he's a crypto, he's he's hidden pretty good, right? But I, I, I he worked with some woman. Who who was it? It it it, it was some, and and she was a Jewess, and I can't I can't remember her name. I the name escapes me. He was a known homosexual, wasn't he? I don't know. But his entire Kinsey report... I actually thought he was married to his partner, but that's okay. It's um, The entire report is disgusting. Yeah, it's just to normalize perversion and try and make it acceptable. In fact, even according to Wiki, it says, prior to the arrival of European sexologists, American sexology consisted primarily of groups working to end prostitution and educate youth about sexually transmitted diseases. Those weren't American sexologists. Those were preachers, pastors, and priests trying to keep kids on the straight and narrow. Yeah, Kinsey was married, had four children. He was? He was married, had four children. He seems to be the, the, the only white sexologist that I've ever heard of. Mm, like I, Weeby said I, that. Sorry, go on. I don't think he's a Jew. I looked for information on his background, and, and I remember doing it a couple of years ago for some project or another, and, and um, I could only find it. He was a pro- came from a Protestant family. Mm. Well, I do remember Weeby said no amount of searching will ever turn up a Christian in the pornography industry, and I've never heard of a Christian pornographer yet. Unless you? they're young and blonde and, and female. Well, no, he, he meant, I think, the producers of pornography. You'll never uh, find a Christian producing pornography. I, I haven't seen any. And if if you go to a, a good website to stop by and see some of the faces behind the, the pornography industry is jewishfaces.com. Wasn't it um, Al Goldstein, a, a Jewish pornographer, who said that we're involved in porn because we think Christ sucks? And did you get that article I sent you? I think I sent you that article about the Jewish family that, as a family, they went into pornography. The Jew came home one day for Passover or Rosh Hashanah and told his mother that he he just wasn't doing so well in law school and he was going to drop out and start a porn business. And she does the accounting and the bookkeeping. The father helps with the booking and whatnot, and the the brother's the cameraman. And he's making, you know, millions now. Well, well, on the Wikipedia sex industry page, is not, the word Jew doesn't exist, right? 
The word Jew does not exist on their sexologist page. Uh, on the sex, the, the sex industry page on oh, okay. Wikipedia. On their sexology thing, they mention that the Institute of Sexology in Berlin was founded by a one Magnus Hirschfeld, and he had 20,000 books, 35,000 photographs, and a large collection of art and other objects. Although from what we've seen of Jewish art, whether or not you actually want to call his collection art, that's a, a matter that we could debate, and I'm sure that we don't have to debate because we're probably on the same page. It was just trash. I... But it seems that whenever there's something perverse, they try and normalize it, or or somehow these Jews become Germans. They they downplay the Jewish hand in perversion. Well, well, there's no doubt. I, oh. I don't know. It's it, it's hard to um to wean people off Wikipedia. I, I see I, I see more attempts. Uh, I see more and more frequent attempts by other organizations to substitute for Wikipedia in one way or another. And Conservapedia is a good start. But Conservapedia is um Neocon. Yeah, yeah, it's it it's basically a, a, a mainline political neocon conservative I mean it's it's mainstream right and today sadly mainstream conservatism it is is reduced to um a, another tool of Jewish Zionism it, it's a different spin but but it's still the same beast and and the neocons are um and, and anyone who's sympathetic to the Jews has to be held suspect and, and can't be fully trusted Oh, Hirschfeld also founded the Scientific Humanitarian Committee, advocating the um, legalization of homosexuality. He wanted rights for bisexuals, transgender men and women, and he was against their legal persecution. Now, the, the wiki page calls it legal persecution instead of prosecution. It's interesting they choose that word persecution, where right-wingers are on trial in Germany. Wikipedia refers to it as prosecution instead of persecution. Right. Well, well, that's the you're right. That's the Jews have always used that trick. I think we've pretty well demonstrated that Wikipedia is a garbage encyclopedia. Do you want to get into Owen Lattimore and Paul Robeson, or shall we leave it where we are? Well, well, we might want to save that for another night. Two All hours right. is um, two two hours is enough. Thank you, Brian. I, I hope that this um. That this discussion was somewhat informative, and and that's all I can say, right? I mean, but we'll do um a, a program I think on Haiti. You want to do a program on Haiti soon, right? That that might be useful. I would think yes, and I would say that. And, and that's another place that Wikipedia is clearly biased, isn't it? That sure. I mean, I had that argument with a moderator, a self-avowed, self-described atheist Marxist. The article read that the. After the Haitian Revolution, the remaining whites left, and I pointed out, no, there were no remaining whites. I have a letter here from a Frenchman cited in a book by Stoddard. This guy was a soldier. He was hiding in the woods outside of the capital city, and he said every white in the city had been butchered, and they were displayed on trees. They were, you know, nailed. They were hacked to pieces. They were thrown in piles and burned. And he pointed out that there were no whites left alive in the capital city of Haiti, and he doubted if more than a dozen whites were left alive on the entire island. And the moderator said, well, that letter is speculation. That French soldier had no way of knowing if there were other whites elsewhere on the island. Well, if every yeah, single yeah, right. person in the capital city is dead, it's a safe bet that they're dead elsewhere, and that soldier would know more about it than these moderators would. Well, well you know, I've met a lot of Haitians, and, and they are the blackest Negroes in the Western Hemisphere, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a, they didn't only kill the whites in Haiti. They killed the mulattoes, the a, lot, a lot the of the mixed, a lot of the mulattoes, right. And they, they are the darkest Negroes in the, in the um, American hemisphere, no doubt. What, where a lot of American blacks are light or medium brown-skinned because they have admixture. Absolutely. You, usually think, Jewish admixture. It's ridiculous that we have to make an argument against these people and point out that Haiti is a nightmare nation and the whites were massacred. Well, well right. It, it, it betrays an agenda when documentary evidence isn't accepted. It, it's perfectly clear, just like with Russia number one. It, it betrays an agenda when documentary evidence is not accepted. And, and, and it's I argued back and forth with this guy for a day or so. Finally, he conceded, and he let me change it to most of the whites were killed during the rebellion, the uprising, and what few remained left afterwards. But then a few weeks later, somebody edited it back. And now any mention of massacres has been removed. Okay, well, we'll do a program on Haiti soon, maybe next month. I just want to close with the idea that Wikipedia, in my opinion, has rightly earned its name, Jewikipedia, as I usually refer to it. Well, right, exactly. And and, um, the only problem is that Jewikipedia will never show up in a Google search engine. (laughs) Jewikipedia. Oh, okay, this is... um... William Singh, Christiania Saturdays, and, and Sword Brethren, thank you for being here. And, and um, I'll be here on Friday, March 30th, with 2 Peter chapters 2 and 3. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for listening, everybody, you. and good night. Praise Yahweh.